0: Hey, everyone. Welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about Gunung Padang, Greek myths, and MH370. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not on that last one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, don't want to get sued. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. What's up, man? Nothing, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, Excited to talk about this stuff. Um, Really interesting article that came out on... Gunung Padang I had to look up how to say it before we came on air and I hope I got that right but uh, uh yeah this is something Graham Hancock actually talked about in his Netflix series. he went and visited in um, I think West Java, Indonesia. He interviewed these people who had been studying it and they had done some dating on certain you know parts of the structure and uh his his whole thing about it was that it was might have been 25,000 years old. Graham Hancock has gotten a lot of shit, uh, some of it justified, in my opinion. Uh, But this one specifically, it turns out he might have been proven right. Uh, Just last week, um, for some reason, it took almost 10 years for a paper to be published on this thing. Yeah, it's a multidisciplinary study of Gunung Padang. Yeah, I'm just going to read this abstract from the study. Um, The multidisciplinary study of Gunung Padang has revealed compelling evidence of a complex and sophisticated megalithic site. Correlations between rock stratifications observed through surface exposures, trenching, and core logs combined with GPR. I don't know. This is like super super detailed science shit. Uh, (laughs) Let me just read the conclusion. That might be easier. So this is what the study says. Uh, This study sheds light on advanced masonry skills dating back to the last glacial period. This finding challenges the conventional belief that human civilization and the development of advanced construction techniques emerged only during the warm period of the early Holocene or the beginning of the Neolithic with the advent of agriculture approximately 11,000 years ago. However, evidence from Gunung Padang and other sites such as Gobekli Tepe suggests that advanced construction practices were already present when agriculture had perhaps not yet been invented. The builders of Unit 3 and Unit 2 at Gunung Padang must have possessed remarkable masonry capabilities which do not align with the traditional hunter-gatherer cultures. The burial of these structures around 9,000 years ago adds further intrigue for reasons not fully understood. Given the long and continuous occupation of Gunung Padang, It is reasonable to speculate that this site held significant importance, attracting ancient people to repeatedly occupy and modify it. To further advance our knowledge of Gunung Padang, it is essential for future research to undertake comprehensive and systematic excavations that delve into characteristics of Unit 2, Unit 3, and Unit 4, as well as their cultural significance. Gunung Padang stands as a remarkable testament, potentially being the oldest pyramid in the world. Further investigation and interdisciplinary research will uncover its hidden secrets and shed more light on the ancient civilizations that thrived in this enigmatic site. So that is the concluding remarks of the study. Graham Hancock basically could have written that shit. And um, that's where we're at. We had fucking Michael Shermer uh, basically concede to Graham Hancock that um, he was right. He tweeted that (laughs) pretty much. And that's kind of crazy because Michael Shermer... Is like the biggest skeptic asshole, and I'm not saying skeptics are assholes. He's he's just an asshole as a person. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah. he, he um, yeah, man, the fact that he fucking actually said that and uh, conceded anything to anyone about anything is is pretty extraordinary, especially when it comes to ancient ancient stuff like this and and Graham, Graham Hancock in particular. So um, it's pretty wild that they actually came out with this study. It's actually like 10 years after the last time anyone heard anything about it. Like I had researched this uh, site after, you know, watching Ancient Apocalypse. And yeah, the last thing that was on Wikipedia about it was from 2014, pretty much. Yeah, it says, based on still unpublished and undisclosed number of carbon dates, an Indonesian geologist who's an expert in earthquake geology suggested the site had been built as a giant pyramid up to 20,000 years ago. His conclusions gained the attention of Indonesia's president, who set up a task force, an archaeologist who did not wish to be named due to the involvement of the country's president, stated, in archaeology, we usually find the culture first. Then, after we find out the artifact's age, we'll seek out historical references to any civilization which existed around that period. Only then will we be able to explain the artifact historically. In this case, they found something, carbon dated it, and it looks like they created a civilization around the period to explain their finding. On October first, twenty fourteen, surveyors halted excavation activities temporarily, hoping to begin them again under a new government. The twenty fourteen excavation has been criticized for being improperly conducted. So that was the, the last thing, that last update, basically on the study of this site. And now, ten years later, we get the release of this paper, basically confirming everything. That that expert in geology said back, you know, ten years ago. So I find that interesting. The timing is, uh, I don't know, man. It's it's pretty cool.
1: That is sick. Is that is the geologist you're talking about? That guy Danny Natawijaja. This yeah. yeah, okay. Damn, that's really sick. So what do you think the implications of this are? You think that that like implies that we've had more advanced civilizations because that's a uh, Kind of fucking major. And I feel like that's a major reason why Graham Hancock gets so much shit is because if he's right that we are a species with amnesia and we have been going through these cycles of advanced civilizations, that's really going to change our idea of a lot of traditions. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I I feel like a lot of this type of stuff is that I can see why people would be so hesitant to accept it I feel like if you use that term ontological shock, that's partially what I feel like people would feel if they revealed that human beings were at one point more advanced. That's uh, not something that people accept into their worldview. We like to think, at least this is my impression, is like a lot of human beings nowadays like to convince themselves that we're as advanced as we've ever been, you know? Yeah, shit like this
0: is really crazy. It's, it's interesting because, yeah, this paper, let me, I'll, I'll read this one line again because I think it's important. Given the long and continuous occupation of Gunung Padang, it is reasonable to speculate that this site held significant importance attracting ancient people to repeatedly occupy and modify it. So that kind of goes along with the theory of, you know, what Peter LaVenda and, and, and Tom DeLong talk about where these things are already existing and they were built upon. You know, by subsequent civilizations.
1: Yeah. Did you did you see the video I sent you a while ago about the different types of masonry in certain yes. ancient sites? Yeah. And they were talking about cataclysms and how, like, one civilization, it appeared, used what was called polygonal masonry, and then another one used what they labeled uh, cyclopean masonry. And they were doing it by layer. So like the bottoms were the most advanced and difficult. And the by the time we got to like the ones that would be like modern era, it was just like simple stone stacking almost and uh yeah, I found that very interesting i'm I'm trying to I actually pulled out uh Magicians of the Gods by Graham Hancock and I'm reading about like what it says about Ganung Padang bro it says that <laughs> it says they're fucking basalt bro um, <laughs> no way. I, I swear oh to God it says dad. it says in, 19, it says Linda in 19— it Howe
0: was right. Yeah, basalt, basalt, like, fucking things haunting your dreams, dude.
1: Yeah, and it also said something about basalt in a Jack Parsons book where he's talking about, like, this, like, ancient past. He keeps mentioning basalt, and it's weird. But let me read this book about uh, Magicians of the Gods, this little yeah, blurb. All right, it, it says, uh, In 1914, lying scattered amongst the dense trees and undergrowth that then covered the summit of the pyramid, Ancient man-made structures formed from blocks of columnar basalt were first shown to archaeologists. Local people held the site to be sacred and called it Ganung Padang, the name it still goes by today, often mistranslated as mountain field by those unaware that the language of this area is not Indonesian but Sudanese, in which Ganung Padang means mountain of light or mountain of enlightenment. The structures were found to be arranged across five terraces with a combined area of about 150 meters long by 40 meters wide. The visiting archaeologists were told that the terraces had been used as a place of meditation and retreat since time immemorial. And again, this remains true today. This has like its whole intricate history in the area it's in. Like even people that are around this area seem to be misunderstanding it And they have their own little ideas of what this thing represents or what it was for. What do you think this place was for? Like just based on the uh, scientific article you've read about it, what do you think that Ganung Padang was? Do you think it's similar to the like what we see in Giza? Or do you think that this is something
0: else? Yeah, the fact that the paper itself, the title of the paper calls it a prehistoric pyramid. I mean, I guess we have to kind of take into consideration the idea that you know, maybe this is used for the same thing as the rest of the pyramids around the world. You know, again, it's that, that idea of some sort of grid for some sort of purpose in ancient times. And the fact that this thing is 25,000 years old really opens up a lot of possibilities. So I'm not sure specifically. I think it's definitely reasonable to include uh, Gunung Padang in, you know, other theories of, you know, what megalithic sites might be around the world. The shit is is everywhere it's on every continent and uh and that's the other interesting thing is that the three different units were built at different times and that you know you, you see the same thing in um South America as well i think people may have stumbled upon these structures and then used them for different for different purposes and it, it's kind of like the i think you were talking about John Keel talks about the god kings like the like the pharaohs who kind of claimed these structures as their own when they they didn't build them they were they kind of came in and and took them over and you know used them for their own purposes and own you know kind of selfish um basically saying that they're, you know, descended from the gods or whatever whatever the fuck. Yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting idea that Kiel touches on. And and it's kind of the idea that like uh imagine there was some sort of cataclysm and there were humans that were able to survive. And then like the humans that are born after that have no access to technology, no electricity, no anything. You just see a huge regression in what humankind is. You know what I mean like we we don't have any access to books we don't have any access to any of our history and all these things that we've taken for granted even little tools to help like babies read and colors and sharing and like all these things that we culturally have a really good system of like putting into our culture you know and like imagine all that's just washed away and certain humans live and they somehow have working iPhones and they somehow have working, you know what I mean? Like they have all yeah. this technology. They're going to look like absolute gods to the human beings that they do encounter that have regressed to this primitive state. So like Kiel imagines if there was some previous advanced civilization and they did live through some cataclysm. What's the word Tom uses when he talks about that? He calls him an outpost. Yeah, he says a uh, small outpost. Like, that's how I view this type of stuff. And that's actually how they talk about it in the movie uh, Mad Max. I just remember a Mortan Joe being, like, this fucking mega god king. And everyone was, like, uh, afraid and terrified of this dude. It, It was like he was part of this more advanced thing that was now ruling over the next generation that was to come.
0: It also makes you wonder about all those population bottlenecks we we see in the genetic uh, genetic code history of of our species. There's a bunch of those. Try to line those up with with certain certain dates. Um, I don't know, everything's so fuzzy, but, yeah, it's, I think it's just interesting to think of these these population bottlenecks and um, some survivors of of some ancient, more advanced civilization. And even even Tom mentioned this recently in an interview uh, he did about Monsters of California, I think it was like last week, basically saying that he said ancient civilizations were probably a lot more advanced than we give them credit for and that they had a better understanding of consciousness than than we do. And that's what we are currently rediscovering, whatever consciousness means. Um, but besides that point, yeah, I think the the population, the genetic population bottlenecks that, that we see in the genetic code throughout history might line up with some of this stuff.
1: So. For when we were talking about like ultra terrestrials and god kings and shit like that, the reason I brought up the Mad Max example is because that's an example of when people use that in a sinister way. Like a Mortan Joe was completely taking advantage of the people that he was over. You know what I mean? Like for those who don't know, there's pyramids all over the world. There's pyramids in South America, in China, in Mexico. In Mexico, there's a pyramid. I think it's called Teotihuacan or something. There was like 84,000 sacrifices in one week or something at this particular pyramid. The point I'm making is like...
0: That's nuts. What? That's
1: what? nuts, dude. It's it's something that's like... Uh, they killed
0: 84,000 people in it a was, week?
1: It was one of the biggest... Now I have to look up so I don't sound like a lunatic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, that's fucking crazy!
1: Like, what a week. Here we go. Hold on. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm I might be butchering this. I need to make sure that this is no. I'm not butchering the the number. I'm pretty confident in that number. I oh want to make God. sure when I talk about like Quetzalcoatl and that stuff that I, from what I understand, the belief for Quetzalcoatl was that they thought that they were like going to like join with Quetzalcoatl. Like, when they were sacrificed, they wanted to oh, be okay. sacrificed. Yeah. Like, it was something like the best warriors or the smartest people or, like, you know what I mean? It like, yeah. for what I understand, it was kind of an honor. But I can't imagine a world where, like, people are nuts about being their heads chopped off. <laughs> <Like> that <laughs> does not sound appealing whatsoever.
0: <laughs> and line, I don't know line me up, who, man. I'll what fucking... you would have... <laughs>
1: Imagine the fucking crazy belief you would have to pound home to people to make them be willing to do that.
0: Well, here, here, think about this. Say life after death is confirmed scientifically. What happens?
1: What does that mean? Like your your soul Say, lives yeah. and like
0: well, we talk about it all the time. You know, with like near death experience and like you know, life after death science, like Bigelow's is doing. Like, what if it's confirmed? And mm-hmm. like, it would be a nightmare in in the context of our current society right um yeah so just thinking of that like like try to extrapolate what they believed like you know 84,000 people dying in a week i don't think that's actually that crazy if it was proven scientifically i mean that's a really dark fucking thing to think about but that i mean that's what is trying to do right like that's his thing
1: It's one of his things. I mean, the guy's in space and uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's in the motel business pretty deeply too, I hear. So like, uh, he's a uh, renaissance man in the weirdest fucking things in the world. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I know.
0: (laughs) But like, okay, say like, uh, you know, Tom's talking about consciousness and the quote I said before, where he's saying, you know, they were more advanced than we give them credit for. And they had a better grasp on consciousness than than we do and that's what we're discovering so say consciousness um is part of like surviving death like the conscious part of your body you know goes on so what if they had scientifically proven it back then and that's that's why yeah it's fucked up thing to think about but uh go dude that's fucking
1: (laughs) it's horrifying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because dude, you have to understand for me personally is like, I have to like really show my parents some love in letting me have my own journey when it came to religion. Right. And like we would, my, my personal experience with that type of stuff is like when I was a little kid, I would go to church on Easter or I would go to church like for a wedding or a funeral. And I really like never felt like I really got into the weeds of it as a child. And they explained to me as an adult and throughout my childhood, like that they would go to church every Sunday or they would like really have that locked into their schedule as a child and be told about these types of ideas. And they would be like, you know, I don't know, like your aunt, she was Jewish for a few years. Did you know that? Or like they, they would tell me stories about how like, they went to a Baptist church or like they themselves, they didn't feel like they were like really like giving them what they needed in terms of like they're raising their kids and trying to like make it in this world and stuff is like, yeah, it was, it seemed pretty positive and we would try to go, but like, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of the people that were going to the churches, like uh, like people had like the big problem with the Harry Potter books. I remember that when I was a little kid. And I remember people like at church saying things and commenting about how the Harry Potter books were bad and feeling like so guilty about like, uh I liked to read and read those books. And uh I still do. It's something that like, I don't know. I feel like I'm just being kind of whiny about it. <laughs> the, the thing was, is like, I, I just really love my parents attitude about that. And when I have kids, I'm going to try to kind of be that way. It's like, I don't want to be like, Hey, you are Richard Dawkins makes that point too. My man, he was like, you don't have a Catholic child. Like they are a child and they don't, they haven't made up their mind. Like there's, you're just telling them and they're going to believe you because they trust you. And that's like the whole idea of it is like, uh, I I dug that my parents were like, yeah, you can like figure your own way out. I I mean, I, I really like reading and I'm sure you if people have read like my ultra terrestrial substack or men in black substack, like I use lines from Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins books in those articles because I love their attitude towards how wondrous our world is. I remember probably like in high school or so. I started kind of exploring the idea that I might not like really believe in anything. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like sad for me because like, I, uh, I like the idea of having like a guardian angel or something like that sounds always sounds. Cause like, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd get in like accidents occasionally and, uh, or I'd need stitches or something. And I like cut my hand or cut my head a couple of times. And uh, my mom would tell me that I have a guardian angel and that felt so fucking good, bro. Like, I really liked the idea of thinking that as I'd read more and listen to these guys like Hitchens and Dawkins or uh, any of them, dude. Like, I, I, it's not just the atheist guys. Who's another person that I really just fucking adore? Who'd we grow up watching, bro? Like, South I'm to, Yeah, dude. <laughs> or, or, or yeah, dude, that was another part of it was comedy. is like, listen to yeah. comedians and George Carlin. George Carlin yeah, was one, one that, like, oh my god, bro! Like George Carlin, he he didn't even want to entertain the idea. Well, that it's logic. Because, it's it's
0: logic. You know, it's like materialism, basically. Yeah.
1: And he had this great bit about how he, you know, what he believes in. He believes in the sun yeah. because he knows that he can see it for one, and he knows that every day it rises in the morning, and he can he knows that it's going to set in the uh, evening. I I really liked Carlin. I'm obviously a big fan of Governor Jesse Ventura. He's one of many modern politicians that said that he didn't believe in God. I don't think any of them are doing it in this way that's like sinister. They're doing it in a way that's very honest. And a lot of them end up like kind of espousing agnostic ideas saying like, yeah, for all intents and purposes, I'm an atheist. But like, I really don't know. That is the only honest answer you can give. And uh, I, I dig that answer of I don't know about a lot of those questions. So for me, when if we're talking about um, the implications of finding out that there's evidence for, I forget the way Bigelow worded it. It's like continuation of life after bodily death is what he called it. I just find that extraordinarily like just saying that, I feel I find it extraordinarily hard to prove. Um, and I'm saying that from... I guess you would say the atheist position. I'd be very curious to see what the cri- the standard of evidence would be for something of that magnitude. You ever you ever see the Jefferson Bible, bro? No. You know what that is? I, I learned not. that from Christopher Hitchens. He he was talking about our. Fa- he was real interested in our founding fathers, and particularly Jefferson. And uh, he hated synchronicities too. So a funny synchronicity with Hitchens, I'd have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure this is correct, is that he had the same birthday as Thomas Jefferson. And, and I think that drove him nuts because he was like, uh, not literally nuts, but like it, it like bothered him because he's like, God damn it. I love Thomas Jefferson. That's probably so cool. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but then he made the point, he was like, yeah, but that was the old calendar And like uh, made this whole (laughs) point about how our calendars have like kind of shifted. Fucking
0: leap year, man. Wouldn't be yeah. What about the leap year? (laughs) Doesn't count. (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: So the Jefferson Bible learned about that from Christopher Hitchens, and it's like a New Testament Bible that Thomas Jefferson, who was the third president of the U.S., I believe, was Washington Adams Jefferson. Anyway, he was like one of the OGs. He was one of the original like creators of the Declaration of Independence and signers and is like considered to be a founding father. Everyone recognizes that with Thomas Jefferson. Hitchens point with Jefferson was that for his time, he would be considered an atheist by today's standards and especially the way he wrote. And one of the things he wrote was nicknamed the Jefferson Bible. It was the New Testament But he omitted everything that would be considered supernatural, and he essentially cherry picked what he found to be the most virtuous parts of it that were useful and like helpful for people to advance. I bet it was uh, like
0: crazy boring.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I I got it. I got it at Barnes and Noble. I felt so smart, and then I fucking I was reading it. I was like, this is is kind of lame still. (laughs) <laughs> but it the was Bible like, without all yo, the fucking. You know what cool I'll parts. tell you? Yeah. It was really small. <laughs> yeah. It was really small. Um, but no, yeah, no, that UFOs. was. A, yeah, that's a fun fact that Thomas. There's the you can look it up. It's the Jefferson Bible.
0: When I grew up, very secular. Like I didn't go to church. It was never mentioned. Like I was adopted, so my parents were kind of young. Yeah. So basically, I I didn't have any sort of church experience growing up at all except for when i slept over a friend's house and i had to go with them to church on sunday if my parents (laughs) didn't fucking pick me up in time um so and i fucking hated it because i'm like this is so weird this is like i don't know these people are nuts like what is going on so that was my experience with church as a very young person and then um my parents kind of got the idea that we needed some sort of education on religion so they joined um uh, the local Unitarian Universalist—is it a church? I don't know. Uh, it, I don't know
1: what that would mean. I've never heard um, that
0: phrase. I think it, it's not a religion. It's. I thought, let me. I should probably look it up.
1: <laughs> By the way, I looked it up, and that that pyramid did sacrifice eighty four thousand people. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> In <Okay>. four days. <laughs> go ahead. Though. All right. So yeah. So they were like, "Let's go check out this." You know, I guess it is a religion technically liberal religious movement characterizes free and responsible search for truth and meaning. All right, that's cool. So basically, what I experienced there, we we learned about every religion. We'd sit in, I don't know, I guess it was Sunday school, you call it, but not really. Um,
1: Was it kids or was it like grown up?
0: I remember being in a room with like several other kids and we were reading and learning about pretty much every religion, which I fucking, I hated it. And I was so boring because my only frame of reference was like, you know, going to church on Sunday with uh, my friends, and then you know, you're a kid. You don't fucking care. You want to go, you know, play or do do whatever. You don't want to learn about fucking you know any of this shit. So I, it's interesting though, because because now that I'm that I'm studying like the UFO phenomenon and all this all this stuff, and kind of making connections between ancient texts, it was I kind of found it interesting that it, it's kind of like a Unitarian thought process where you're studying like each different religion. I'll just read it just so I don't, I'm not fucking it up. Yeah, Uh, go for it. Unitarian Universalism is a liberal religious movement characterized by a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Uh, It asserts no creed, but instead are unified by the shared search for spiritual growth. Uh, Unitarian Universalist congregations include many atheists, agnostics, deists, and theists, and have churches, fellowships, congregations, and societies around the world. So it's really kind of like a, like a, religious education <laughs> thing. I mean, that, that was how I saw it. When it's I like was
1: secular religion? Is that what yeah, that like? Pretty yeah, pretty
0: much. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of wild. Yeah, I guess that's why my parents thought it was so beneficial for us.
1: Some of, the, some of these myths and religions say very different things about the creation of the cosmos and the creation of human beings. Some of them say really similar things. The creation of human beings out of clay that's a real interesting one. You see that in the Greeks, Egyptians, Sumerians, and the Bible that mankind was created from clay. It's the it varies slightly in uh, these myths, but like overall it's the idea that like a higher entity like sculpted and crafted what ended up being mankind and for different reasons in different myths, you know, The Christian myth is that they think that, like, I don't know really what their purpose is. When, (laughs) when, what is the biblical reason for mankind being created? Like, does it, does he give a reason? I don't know, man. I slept
0: slept through like church the three times (laughs) I went.
1: (laughs) I don't know if there is a reason in the Bible while he created. That would be a great question for Peter Lavenda. That dude is a, like, a religious scholar. Yeah. So he knows so much about all these myths and like dead languages and old religions that people don't even practice. One of them is the Yazidi. We talked about that on yeah. a different podcast and he was saying, uh, he has this thorough understanding of like the Yazidi's role in the Middle East. Like when I listen to Peter Lavenda or Christopher Hitchens talk about the situation in the Middle East I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to post about anything on the internet about this situation because I do not or know. Or talk it about it on well. a podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, for real. For real, bro.
0: That's a great segue. Yeah. To, uh... <laughs> yeah. So that gangnang padang shit is crazy. Graham Hancock is right. Tom was right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, shit. Um, hopefully the world doesn't end before we figure it all out.
1: I have one question about Ganung Padang before we move on, yeah, though. So it, in this Magicians of the Gods book, Hancock mentions there being a mysterious chamber beneath Ganung Padang. Do you know anything about this chamber? And um, yes. have you ever heard about this?
0: Yeah, there's uh, two three of them. I think that's like the whole point is that the shit was built one on top of the other. And that that's what they mean by. Uh, yeah, maybe I should read the whole fucking paper. Hold on. <laughs> This is why there's like science publications. So you don't have to read the fucking paper and like decode it. I guess that's kind of what we try to do on the podcast.
1: (laughs) I was like, oh shit.
0: Yeah. Um, The core part of the structure was probably built between 25,000 and 14,000 BC, but then was abandoned for several millennia. Construction started again around 7900 to 6100 BC expanding the core mound of the pyramid with various rock columns and gravelly soils, with some further building work taking place between 6,000 and 5,500 BC. Intriguingly at this time, the builders seem to have purposefully buried or built over some older parts of the site. The final architects of the pyramid arrived around 2,000 to 1,100 BC. So when you think about the cycles of human civilization... That, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, why was there so much time in between each of the constructions?
1: Is that a rhetorical question? Or no. Are you, oh, you ask... Uh, <laughs> dude, I would...
0: <laughs> what is your... Yeah.
1: What's um, your thought? I feel like a while ago, I sent you the uh, like ages of man in Greek. There's... I think it's Hesiod. Probably didn't even say that shit right. Like the ages of man. So if we're talking about cycles of civilization they believe that there was like a silver age and a golden age and right. a bronze age and i i believe right now is iron. the iron age because like now we now we die in our bodies like an iron rust and then like uh we we
0: yeah. have iron in our blood or something
1: yeah like that um and then the idea they they all had their own like little like quirks about them the thing with the golden age was that they were like uh very etheric. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea when we're talking about like cycles of civilization and then what ended up being like what human beings are because the Greek story of creation specifically it's very I don't want to say jumbled because they it is like I feel like beautiful and poetic. This is what I'm trying to say. There's parts of the Greek story that are so, like, bizarre to me. I have no idea why they were included whatsoever in the story. Like, Like what? So the Titans are the sons of the primordial gods. Like, the heaven and the earth, Gaia and Uranus, created the Titans. And Cronus was the chief Titan, and he ruled over the entire cosmos. And then we have other Titans we recognize, like Atlas or Prometheus. Like, those are all examples of Titans. The thing with Cronus was he was like foretold that one of his children was gonna overthrow him, and so is a solution to that he would eat all of his children. And there's that famous painting of like Saturn like eating this like
0: fucking baby person. Yeah, it's it's a
1: weird famous painting, and Saturn is the Romans Cronus, the mother of Zeus didn't want Zeus to be eaten after Zeus was born. She felt he was extremely special and she tricked Cronus and she gave him like this swaddled bundle of rocks and Cronus just like ate it and was like, cool, no way that I'm going to get overthrown. And then Zeus grows up on the Island of Crete and is like, Getting strong and eventually wait, wait, shows wait. back up.
0: What he ate a, a he ate a bag of rocks and he, he was like yeah that was a baby.
1: Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's another bizarre part of the Greek myths is that True they story. make them sound like complete idiots in certain <laughs> parts of the story. Like that makes no sense to me. Like how would you think? Anyway, <laughs> the I, <laughs> the Zeus grows up on Crete and when he gets strong enough, he ends up becoming Cronus's wine bearer. And he laces Cronus's wine with poison. And then Cronus throws up all of Zeus's siblings like Hades and Poseidon and Athena. And like that's the generation after the Titans called the Olympians. I know I rattled off all those Titans. The Titan Prometheus, the eventual like creator of mankind, fights alongside the Olympians against the Titans with his brother Epimetheus. The story is sick, bro. It's a sick battle. And when they said that shit in Secret Machines about the Greek myth being part of like what the advisors were telling Tom, mm-hmm. or uh, they, there's that line where he's like uh, in Secret Machines. It's in the end of Chasing Shadows, and there's like this intense conversation, and he's like, "Are you saying that like the Greek gods left their technology, and now people are finding it?" I've, I'm paraphrasing but the guy turns to him and he goes what makes you think they ever left. Yep. And it was like, whoa, that hell of a way to end a book. Um <laughs> and then I started like really trying to buckle down and like understand what the Greek myths were. And uh that's part of that uh, ultra terrestrial substack, The Battle for Our Marble. Part of a big part of that was like what I had read about Atlantis and the idea that like it was like a part of these myths that Zeus and Hermes And Apollo, all these different gods had like Poseidon was one of the the main examples I used. But like they had all like impregnated human women and had like babies with them. That's part of like the story of Atlantis. Poseidon found this mortal woman named Cleeto or Cleto. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he like fell in love with her. And their first 10 children were like five sets of twins, if that makes sense. And they were like the first math, one. Math,
0: math checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the,
1: uh, <laughs> I just hope I'm explaining this okay because it no, sounds so, people don't understand the Atlantis story like this. So Poseidon and Cleito, their offspring, 10 children, ended up becoming the first 10 rulers of Atlantis like the oldest born of them was named Atlas after the Titan that is a part of the story of Atlantis that like I didn't know that the first king of Atlantis was supposedly named after a Titan and the offspring of Poseidon and of human women yeah it's just very bizarre and then like in that article I I compare that to chapter six of Genesis in the Bible where they talk about the sons of God lusting after the daughters of man and having giant children. I don't know. I feel like it gets way too ancient aliens when you talk about it like that. But uh, (laughs) But that's like
0: the, that's what it says. Yeah.
1: Yes. That's one of the difficult things I have personally with discussing religion with people is that people who believe in a lot of those religions might find certain parts of what I just described extremely insulting and like not accurate to what they believe. So I have to reiterate, like, I do not I don't have any beliefs. So if I talk about these things carelessly or like in a way you consider mean, I apologize. I'm not like bigoted towards your religion. I just think it's important that like we examine certain contexts. So like even if I'm just playing devil's advocate, I want to bring these things to the table and see what the religious people say to them, because it's possible they have their own explanation. And I'm just ignorant of them. You know what I mean? I really like to listen to how people reconcile a lot of those differences in myths or similarities in myths and, uh, why they believe what they believe because I've gotten really interesting and like beautiful answers sometimes from religious people I know.
0: Yeah. And I think that's like the interesting thing is, is talking about it a, objectively. And that's just such a hard thing to do clearly with, with what's going on in the world today. It's like looking at religion objectively when it's been, you know, driven into your brain since you were an infant where, where all your shit, you know, your neuro, neuroplasticity is still forming and all this stuff is is going in there and you don't have a choice as to what goes in or what what you keep out. It, it forms your, your worldview. You know, it's like the cargo cult thing. I posted a video on Twitter uh, the other day, and it's just it's wild to watch. You know this actual cargo cult in, in action. You know they're staring at the sky. They're building these fucking runways. Um, you know they see these planes, and they they're basically trying to get them to come land, and uh, you know give them all the things that yeah. They're basically trying to get them to come and, and give them give them their cargo, give them their their technology. I think it makes a lot of sense when. Uh, labenda talks about you know the phenomenon in terms of a cargo cult and just generally like ancient history because if you think about it you know say you stumbled upon these megaliths and we still are they're, you know they're called the the wonders of the world for a reason you know we don't know how they how they were constructed and uh you know we can say we do we can postulate all sorts of ridiculous ideas go the opposite way of occam's razor but um and then you see like they built on top of each of these different units at Gangnung Padang. I'm sure they were trying to emulate uh, whatever they believed happened at that site, you know, however long ago before they got there.
1: That's an interesting when you mentioned cargo colts. Did I send you that thing about Admiral Nimitz and how his strategy of hopping from island to island in World War II? is like what ended up giving rise to that cargo cult phenomenon. An interesting like little, I guess you'd call it a synchronicity with uh, all of this stuff because that's like the carrier DeLong performed on and it's the carrier that uh, it named after this admiral. I believe it was Admiral Nimitz. Hold on, let me look that up. Pay the man respect. Johnny Nimitz. just
0: just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All
1: right, it was Admiral Chester
0: Nimitz. Okay. Okay, Yeah, Chester's better. I like that
1: He was a fleet admiral in the U.S. Navy, and he played a major role in naval history of World War II as a commander-in-chief U.S. Pacific Fleet and commander-in-chief Pacific Ocean areas, including commanding allied air, land, and sea forces during World War II. Yeah, so he was a grade-A badass. And I guess his strategy of hopping from island to island on these obscure islands, I believe on the outskirts of Africa, if we're talking about the Pacific, those tribes that were like (laughs) coming in. Because think about it, bro, like before World War II, there was no missiles like the V2 was the first like real long range ballistic missile that like started being used in war. And a lot of World War II was like a missileless war. It was just like a lot of guns and a lot of just like brutal. You know what I'm saying? It's not as crazy as today where today like the bombs are stronger, the guns are faster, like everything is like so ramped up today. And it was already extremely brutal in World War II, like as brutal as humanly possible. And apparently... Those tribes that would see the U.S. military and how advanced they were going from island to island to island, when they would see them, I think that's the first time that people like, I guess you'd say sociologically, started observing the cargo cult phenomenon and how primitive human beings react to being exposed to something that they just cannot explain and that does not fit into any frame of reference that their culture has they literally will like adapt their own culture to fit the yeah. event you know and i just thought that was an interesting fact that that was nimitz strategy and it ended up being the nimitz aircraft carrier that was like so influential in all this i think that was the carrier they saw
0: the tic tac from yeah right? damn dude that's crazy that's a good yeah. connection yeah all right what else uh what do i have? so my list is Predates agriculture. Michael Shermer is an asshole. MH370. Uh, all
1: right, what do we got? I was gonna, as we were talking about this Gunung Padang, I wanted to bring up this guy that I had read about a little bit named Luis Alvarez, who was a Jason Scholar, I believe. Okay. And uh, this site that I'm reading says that he was part of a Los Alamos committee in 1979 Actually, no, that's not the fact I'd like to read about Alvarez.
0: This is a... <laughs> God, wanna, yeah, let's get into the Jasons because that, that, that'll be interesting.
1: Okay, cool. This Alvarez guy was involved in a panel that was like researching the pyramids in Egypt. Apparently, he had won a Nobel Prize with his son and had published the theory that an asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs and is just a very fascinating individual. And the more that I learned about this Alvarez guy, the more I learned that, like, there's, like, an entire panel and has been for years and it's constantly changing. Fucking, they just, like, exist in secrecy. Like, I never would have heard about this guy until, like, many years after the fact, it seems like. The more I delved into, like, who these Jason scholars were, the more I was like, dude, how, what types of stuff have these guys researched? And, like, why are they at the Pyramid? Do you know more about it? Yeah, dude. I'm glad I brought this guy up because this shit is sick. And I knew that if I wrote this shit down that I would come back to it. It would be cool. So this link, the first link I sent you is cool, but read this link, the PDF.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this. And then I'm going to show you how, how these are like horrible people. <laughs> oh, really? He's not, like a monster? Not monster. No. Okay. they're just, um I think they might be a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to secrecy. Interesting.
1: I thought, see, I was reading this under the impression that being a Jason Scholar was like the absolute pinnacle. It
0: is, but Uh, not for the reasons you think.
1: Got you. Okay. The angles of the dips corresponding to the corners give a second quite independent and more sensitive measure of the displacement. Looking through 100 meters of limestone, we can locate the position of our detectors to within one meter. To the best of our knowledge, no such measurement has ever been made before. Our cosmic ray derived position agrees to within less than one meter in the north-south direction with a recently surveyed position obtained by the UAR Surveying Department. But yeah, he was trying to use like new, more advanced methods at charting the inside chambers of the pyramids.
0: Okay, when was this written? I think in the 60s. All right, um, Let me see. So the Jasons... Oh, 1970. Okay. Oh, okay. It's a panel. I think they work for the Meter Corporation. I think it's a panel of, well, What is uh, the Meter
1: Corporation? What uh, does that they're, mean?
0: They're like a kind of defense uh, think tank. Okay. Yeah, so uh, the Jasons are a program office for uh, the Meter Corporation. And they're basically like really high-level scientists who have like super high security clearances. They've kind of been uh, criticized in the past for being so secretive, and you know, science should be a public thing. And th- that's—I think—they're kind of a big part of this. So, I feel like over the decades, they've kind of become an arm of the intelligence community. I'm just going to tell you a couple things about them that will might suggest that. So, the Jasons have like a really high level of credibility. So, when they write a paper, it's kind of like. The, uh, it's kind of like you don't question it kind of thing. Cause it's they're like
1: authoritative. Top...
0: Yes. They're, yeah. So when they write a paper, it's, um, it's taken very seriously and not many people, it's kind of, yeah, seen as the authority on whatever the subject is that they're writing it about. Because basically the government will ask them, Hey, we're looking into this. We want a really definitive, um, analysis on it. So we know whether or not to spend taxpayer dollars on it kind of thing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the papers they were commissioned to write in 2008 is called High Frequency Gravitational Waves. If that sounds familiar, it's because the, the guy who you know made all those quote-unquote Navy UFO patents, Salvatore Pai, uh, one of his patents was a high-frequency gravitational wave generator. So his was filed in 2017. And this Jason paper was Written back, yeah, in 2008. <laughs> the person overseeing this paper, the name you may or may not know, is uh, Dr. Ronald Pandolfi. That is oh. <laughs> the name of the responsible person on this Jason paper. Is uh, yeah, Ron Pandolfi. He is sort of a legend in the UFO community. I'm actually kind of freaked out to even say his name. Yeah, I'm sure you could figure out he. I don't know. I don't really know much about him. Actually, I do. But <laughs> let's just say he's known to cause trouble uh, when it comes to UFOs. So the fact that he's overseeing this high-frequency gravitational wave paper written by the Jasons back in 2008, it basically debunks high-frequency gravitational waves as any sort of propulsion method, which is interesting because then in 2017, Salvatore Pi files patents for the Navy for a high-frequency gravitational wave generator, which uh, essentially is one of the quote-unquote Navy UFO patents. It's classified as an unconventional spacecraft propulsion system. Let me just review it, yeah. The Jasons were hired in 2008, and they debunked high-frequency gravitational waves as a propulsion mechanism. Then in 2017, Salvatore Pai filed the patent to create a high-frequency gravitational wave generator as an unconventional spacecraft propulsion system. And fucking Ron Pandolfi is the one who oversaw the original paper debunking the propulsion method. So that, that's a little weird, right? Yeah, that's... that's <laughs> hey,
1: I don't... I, I mean, when it comes to people causing trouble, I don't like to... <laughs> I don't like to comment too many times on people that are causing trouble, you know? Like, I'm not... Yeah, This is a so, topic that, like, I, I'm scared... I don't want to say I'm scared or like any of that shit. Like, I don't know, I'm not scared of that guy, but I like, uh, I've heard other people speak very highly of him, you know? And like, I, uh, Who? I really, well, you can <laughs> guess, <laughs> you can guess, bro. Yep.
0: There you go. All right. We'll move on. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Check back on that one. After disclosure <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, back to the Jasons so interestingly, there's a Navy slideshow on high frequency gravitational waves. I'm going to read a couple things from it because I think it's definitely interesting. basically, it gives the reasons for why they would go about uh, constructing and you know manufacturing um, this kind of propulsion system and it also mentions LIGO, which is interesting because uh That's the sensor that Lou Elizondo um, basically said they could use to track UFOs coming into and out of the atmosphere. So this is what the slideshow says. Think of gravitational waves as undulations in the structure of space-time, or to be more exact, ripples in the curvature of the space-time fabric. They are propagating fluctuations in gravitational fields which arise due to dynamics of massive physical entities, although the source of gravitational waves may not be massive in nature so long as its motion is represented by high frequency or high energy. It is of great importance to note that because of their physical nature, these waves have the capability to penetrate solid matter at high frequency. The asymmetric structure, which constitutes the HFGW generator, has the ability to control accelerated modes of vibration and or spin of its electrically charged surfaces. In particular, the rapid rates of change in accelerated, decelerated, accelerated vibration and or accelerated, decelerated, accelerated gyration or axial spin, of these electrified surfaces in this manner, delaying the onset of relaxation to thermodynamic equilibrium, thus generating a physical mechanism which may induce anomalous effects. Acoustic vibration may be used as an alternative to electromagnetic vibration. Um,
1: (laughs) Bro, you sound like Doc Brown right now. (laughs)
0: Good, that's what I'm trying to do. Can be used in a variety of applications, from advanced field propulsion to communication through solid objects, as well as asteroid or planetoid disruption and disintegration. So you can fucking destroy planets with this shit. Um, The generation is accompanied by high-frequency electromagnetic radiation, which can further alter the local space-time energy density, thereby manipulating the local vacuum energy state. The key to superconductivity may be the enablement of a local macroscopic quantum coherence, namely the ability of a macroscopic object to act as of quantum mechanical in nature. What if all you need to do in order to make any wire made out of any normal or poor metal be superconductive at room temperature is to make it abruptly vibrate while running a steady current through it, like plucking a guitar string intermittently? All right. Um, yeah, there's some important stuff in there, but uh.
1: yeah. That, that phrase metamaterial, it seems like there's certain materials that respond very interestingly to being vibrated. That was the point that Verdruccio guy in Italy made on Unidentified was he was saying that uh, they exist on a certain spectrum of frequency. And yeah. that's real fascinating to me because if they know, like we said before, when we were talking about EMPs, it's like if they understand how these things fly and they've like figured out how uh emp could interact with that it's it's very fascinating the idea of someone trying to use that technology like militarily do you get what i'm saying like it sounds like there's been enough research to where it's not just like people are caught with their pants down if one of those things comes flying in like, I feel right. like it's possible. And that's another part of, like, uh, when we're talking about the shoot-down. You know what I'm saying? The quote-unquote shoot-down. We heard it about all these UFO, I guess it would be the beginning of this year when those were going down. When we're talking about the Chinese balloon, it, that was, like, one among many instances where they were saying that, like, there was stuff in our airspace. The best and story.
0: The best UFO story ever. <laughs>
1: Well, it might be. I don't know what the other ones entailed, you know? Like, it could have been something completely sick or maybe they took one out using that type of technology. But I don't... That's just speculation. I don't know shit about any of that. I just feel like, like we said before, dude, it's a transparency issue. And, like, when people are left to speculate, that's when people start filling in the blanks with, like... extra (laughs) 370
0: Yeah, yes, for real. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking... Yeah. <laughs> don't you double ever. slit, macroscopic Don't you ever talk slit.
1: about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> the dude's quoting vi- like fucking Bible verses now. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, um, back to the Jasons. So you remember uh, Havana Syndrome?
1: Yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, um, the intelligence community refers to them as, I guess, anomalous health incidents now. A number of, uh, you know, intelligence officials and diplomats were getting these really, really intense, um, I don't know, physical effects where they would just like, they would hear like this clicking. And um, a lot of it, I guess, a lot of the speculation was they were microwave weapons, right? And so they'd hear this clicking and it would, they'd feel a pressure in their ear and they would get like all these sorts of different symptoms that would it actually like cause them like a, a shitload of pain, and and interestingly, like, I think it was back in, like, 2015 or something, Tom DeLong was talking about, he didn't name it, but uh, he, he was talking about, I think it was, like, Werner Von Braun's old assistant was getting, like, basically the same symptoms. Like, she'd hear clicking, and then, um, yeah, wake up in the middle of the night, like, vomiting, and, uh, you know, all sorts of, like, nasty fucking symptoms, so... It it sounds like he was describing what eventually was reported by intelligence officials. And it, it turned into this whole thing where it's like, are they fucking like, you know, going crazy? Is it psychosomatic? Is it mass hysteria kind of thing? But um, I think the general consensus is and the uh, unclassified report that came out basically says this is some sort of some sort of energy. It might be a sound ultrasonic, might be, you know, electromagnetic in nature, but there's something anomalous about this. The CIA was acting super weird about it. Like, they did not want to address this at all. And there were, like, Havana Syndrome, like, almost whistleblowers. They basically had to, like, force the CIA to acknowledge this shit was going on. Which, you know, isn't too surprising. But basically, they commissioned the Jasons to write a report on Havana Syndrome. And you know, you know what they said? Oh, God. What? They said it was a species of cricket. Oh, native, Jesus. Native to Cuba that was the that was the fucking conclusion of the jason savannah syndrome report and then a few years later the actual report comes out from the ic stating all sorts of crazy shit <laughs> zero crickets <laughs> <laughs> zero species of cricket um and yeah i mean like jason's basically tried to debunk this just like they tried to debunk the high frequency gravitational wave propulsion system add the you know known secrecy of their work on top of that and their affiliations with the intelligence community. I don't know, man. It it just seems like a, a sketchy ass thing. And uh I find it really interesting that you brought up that that one of them was studying like hidden chambers in the pyramids. Because it comes it comes back to this fucking the megaliths and you know what they mean for like human history.
1: Really fascinating. Now I'm like trying to scramble and think back of to all the people I know were Jason scholars. And I'm like, do you think that that's something so just playing devil's advocate, what would somebody who likes the Jason scholars and thinks it is a good thing that they've assembled panels like this? What would they say? A lot of these think tanks in general, it sounds like their purpose is to begin to sway the public's imagination about these topics before they get released in some sort of official capacity. To almost like poke your toe in the water. Yeah, it's it doesn't never seem black like it's... White. got you.
0: It's never like, you know, they're bad or good. It's like, I mean, this is my opinion. Like they they do legitimate studies to determine whether or not taxpayer money should be spent on different programs. They they're also at the beck and call of the intelligence community if they need something. That that's how I see them. Right. That makes sense. They're there for legitimate reasons, but yeah, <laughs> they're under contract by the IC. So if the IC wants something spun a certain way, or they want they want them to come at it from say a debunking angle, you know, something like that. That's uh they're definitely, I think, willing, willing to do that. Damn,
1: damn Jason <laughs> scholars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that but that's another interesting angle to look at it from is like that that paper you're talking about seems totally legit and you know transparent. So it could be that over time it became they became less so. Um, due to whatever influence or you know breakaway civilization or whatever you want to talk about you know
1: yeah i mean i'm just so like this is a problem i have in my head when i try to think about concepts like this is like all right so that group exists and apparently still does exist but like who when we say they're working on behalf of the intelligence community that's still a really big umbrella what? That's that's what I'm trying to grasp in my head is I'm like
0: if they can make inconvenient shit go away that that's it like okay they have okay. the power to do that obviously sometimes it won't work like avana syndrome because right. enough people were fucking pissed off about it so right. um, but it is a private contractor that it's the meter corporation they're like ingrained in the in the defense you know establishment so it's not that big of a stretch
1: damn man <laughs> <laughs> fuck
0: what yeah. a crazy world right. <laughs> right, yeah man i think we did a lot i think that's pretty good for now um i just wanted to let people know that we have a patreon and we just created a uh, discord for it and we already got like six people in there they're basically like the founding members of the discord it's uh, uh anna bulverk i hope i'm saying that right maxwell ob flett and pete Fooey, so Those are like uh, the first people to come in and it's actually pretty chill. They all know their shit. Yeah. It's kind of, it's fun. (laughs) I've never, I haven't used Discord really all that much. So I I really enjoy it. And it's nice being, (laughs) being around knowledgeable people. (laughs) It's, it's kind of a refuge from Twitter where shit just gets flung like constantly. So it's nice having a little place to chat about UFO stuff and, you know, all the other shit we talk about, um, with people who actually, you know, give a shit. And, um, so if you want to join us there, I, I, I don't even know what the URL is. It's is like patreon.com slash patterns tell stories, I think. And uh, I should probably make sure that's right.
1: Yeah, dude. What the- <laughs>
0: Double check. I don't know. Just fucking search it. I guess uh,
1: that discord was sick though. That uh, I I really dug. I'm no expert at
0: discord. Yeah. Patreon.com. I was right. <laughs> Okay <laughs> <laughs> But yeah go ahead sorry you were just, uh... I
1: just wanted to say I was I'm absolutely flattered that anybody Would actually like sign For Discord or a Patreon Or any of that stuff like I think that That is one of the Nicest coolest things ever And just from the bottom of my heart Thank anybody who like takes yeah, the time you. Out of their day to listen because Like I really am just talking To my buddy like That's that I feel like to me is the coolest part about this show is I'm just talking to my buddy on the phone pretty much. And uh, we honestly just get real into the weeds on certain things and I have a great time doing it, but it's like probably the thing I look forward to most in my week is like sitting down and talking to Klaus and yeah, to, to be able to get an opportunity to see people literally support that, from the bottom of my heart thank you means the world that's all i really have to say about that yeah
0: yeah that's right it's a lot of fun man um yeah man i think that's it and uh yeah thanks for listening we'll see you next week thank you guys